A supporting role. Abigail. There are some roles in the Ecclesia which are small but mighty. Sometimes just a few Bible verses disguise very human circumstances of difficulty, success, disappointment and joy. With this in mind, we are going to consider some exhortations from the life of Abigail, a remarkable woman who was more than happy aspiring to a supportive role in her desire to save her household. We know Abigail's story quite well, and in 1 Samuel 25 it is all laid out quite simply. But we need to appreciate that these were real people, and the lessons for us are still very relevant. The key players are David, Nabal and Abigail. Secondary to them are all their servants, the background threat of Saul, and as we see in verse 1, Samuel the prophet, who had recently died. Against the backdrop of Samuel's death, David goes south from Engedi to the wilderness of Paran, and the remainder of the story plays out within a space of 15 to 20 kilometres or so from Maon, right near Carmel of Judah, just south of Hebron. In Maon was the man Nabal. He was very rich, with 3,000 sheep and 10,000 goats, and the record introduces him in the middle of the shearing season. But besides being rich, Nabal is described as churlish and evil in his doings. The NIV has surly and mean, i.e. stingy, in his dealings. The ESV has harsh and badly behaved. No matter how you cut it, this man has a bad reputation. He is also described as a Calebite, i.e. of the house of Caleb, one of the two good spies in Moses' time of the tribe of Judah. Some translations convert Calebite into behave like a dog, as Caleb means dog. How sadly he betrayed the heritage of his forebears. Nabal's redeeming feature is his wife, Abigail. Now their names are always interesting. Abigail, meaning my father's happiness, and Nabal meaning foolish or senseless. And I question, what happy father of Abigail would have married his daughter to such a brute, as arranged marriages were then the norm? We don't know, but money was surely a relevant consideration. But here we have Abigail, a woman described as of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance. Her spirituality was highlighted before her beauty, telling us that this was the hallmark of her life. From her later words, we can see her understanding was invested in her God, perhaps as an escape from the misery of her marriage. We will see that she is faithful in all things. And lastly, we have David, Hebrew beloved, the man after God's own heart. David and his 600 men are continually on the run and in dire need of what all armies need, supplies. He therefore sends ten young men to approach Nabal in David's name and speak peaceably to him. The request is polite, gentle even. He doesn't ask for much. He has done Nabal a kindness and he calls himself a son, respecting Nabal's seniority in the tribe of Judah. He knows it is shearing time. Wool was valuable, and because of David's support to Nabal's men, which was no small kindness, Nabal would have had more than enough to give some support to David. Note, the Philistines and Amalekites were causing chaos in Israel during Saul's crisis of faith, and the nation was not safe because God had not given it rest. But we also know Nabal's response. David who? Now there is no way that Nabal was ignorant of David. He would have known that he had been anointed by Samuel, 
had slain Goliath and killed thousands of Philistines. But he's a fool. He denies David. He denies his parentage to Jesse. He accuses him of being a runaway servant, an outright insult, and refuses to give him a scrap. When David hears the response, we see his other side. He's immediately violently angry. He intends to wipe Nabal's lineage off the map, to remove this smear from Judah. So he assembles the majority of his men and advances upon Maon. One thoughtful servant values his life and chooses to tell the wise and beautiful Abigail. Now, if you were Abigail, what would you do? Abigail is one of those divisive characters scripturally because she breaks the rules here and keeps her actions secret from her husband and acts contrary to his wishes. We may read this with 21st century eyes and perhaps don't blink, but in those days these actions were contrary to the spirit of a wife's submission to her husband. But she is faced with a dilemma that needs an urgent answer. Should she do nothing and see herself, her husband and her whole household destroyed? Or, knowing that her husband wouldn't change his mind, should she forego asking his permission, seize the moment, and prevent the disaster? What would you do? If you were a sister, would you do what Abigail did for anyone your husband was being dangerously foolish with, or only if it was someone like David, the future king? What circumstances would justify a wife behaving like Abigail today? The narrative indeed challenges us. She makes up her mind. She decides that a soft answer turns away wrath and that humility and concession would be the best appeal to David's nature. She personally supervised the provisions so that every detail was right and then sends her servants off with this gift. She departs separately to meet this angry horde herself, knowing that even if this works out well, Nabal will be angry. She has chosen one side at the expense of the other. God over mammon, if you will. When she meets David, she hurries to abase herself, bowing to the ground and falling at his feet. There is no pride in this intelligent and beautiful woman. Indeed, with her face to the ground, she was hiding her natural beauty. She doesn't approach him as a daughter of Jacob might have, as a deal-maker or an equal. She seeks the life of her household, just like Priscilla, like Lydia, like Lois and Eunice. Her selfless plea is recorded in verses 24 to 31. It is quite a long speech by biblical standards, and she didn't have time to draft, practice and edit. These are the spontaneous thoughts of a wonderful sister's heart, a confession of faith. She expresses her hope and her love in her God, and her chief concern is that the king that God has appointed will not needlessly sin in this matter. She accepts the consequences of her husband's sin, this demonstrates that she considered herself to be at one with her husband, to be subject to the consequences of his behaviour, even though personally she was far removed from that behaviour. If we found ourselves in a situation like Abigail, would we have said and acknowledged that? She asked permission to speak to one whom she exalts as Adon or Lord. She is frank and honest about her husband's behaviour, describing him as worthless, profitless, wicked, a man of Belial, living up to his name. There is no excuse for his behaviour, she said, and she did this to save him from himself. Even though she knew David was angry, she appeals to his faith, to the fact that he is the anointed one, the beloved one, the merciful David. 
She addresses David as Adon, and she freely uses the name of God, Yahweh. As surely as Yahweh lives and you live, David, God is holding you back from bloodshed. This must have taken David aback. As the blood had rushed to his head, he had clearly forgotten to seek God's answer on this fight. Abigail says, Let thine enemies be as Nabal. May your enemies be likewise foolish and profitless. She shows the blessing she has brought with her. The two hundred loaves, two bottles of wine, five dressed sheep, five measures of corn, one hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs. And, in contrast to her husband's churlishness, gives it all away generously to support David's ecclesia in the wilderness. Lastly, Abigail shows her faith in the promise of God, saying, For Yahweh will make of you, David, a sure house, because you fight battles for God and evil is not found in you. Even if David's life is at risk, Abigail has faith, like Samuel, that David will be bound securely by the Almighty God in the bundle of the living, and David's enemies will be the ones who will die. She affirmed God's promise that he will be king over Israel, and then appeals to him not to proceed with the massacre, and endure eternal regret for this hasty vengeance. Remember your handmaid for good, she asked. David is abruptly stopped in his tracks, as would we be, by a woman so humble, so godly, so wise in her faith and her approach, that all his anger passes. He sees God's hand work through her, and offers thanks to him, and then blesses Abigail, and sends her away in peace. Now she has to face her husband. Having never experienced anything like this myself, I am humbled by Abigail's bravery and strength of faith. She finds Nabal so drunk that she can't tell him until morning, and when she does, his heart dies and becomes comatose. God pronounced judgment upon him, and ten days later he dies. How wonderful it would have been to hear her prayers during those days. Do you think she would have prayed for the recovery of Nabal, and yet still thanked God when he died and left the household in peace? David, in the final verses of this chapter, recognises that God has sent Abigail. God had kept David from his evil plan, and he extends that to thinking that God had made Abigail available to him for a wife. She accepts his proposal, as does Ahinoam of Jezreel. In the next few chapters of David's life, we read of further hardships, further wanderings, further pursuits, and we see Abigail always with him through every trial. Her life would not have been easy. It was a far cry from the prosperity in Maon. She may have felt that she had gone from the frying pan into the fire. She was then captured by murderous Amalekites in 1 Samuel chapter 30. This was the nation that was Israel's oldest enemy, delighting to pick off the weak in the desert, never showing mercy. David and everyone with him lifted up their voices and wept, and David was fearful of being stoned. Yet he inquires of God, and God is with him, and all is recovered. But again, can you imagine how Abigail must have felt, driven and tossed by the ways of warlike and evil men, always hoping and praying for deliverance from God, hoping that her faith would have proven true, that David would be king and she would live to remain his wife? Because who was she after all? Would there be peace for her in the palace in Jerusalem? The sword eyes... And in the second book of Samuel, we have David's mourning for Saul and Jonathan. In chapter 2, God gives him instruction to go to Hebron, and he takes his two wives there. 
After more conflict with Saul's house, Abigail bears David a son, Chiliab, meaning perfection of the father. And her story, as we know it, is complete. But if you read Second Samuel chapter 3 carefully, David now has a total of six wives, and we know that he will take at least one more, Bathsheba. His household becomes chaotic. This is no fairy tale. This isn't God's ideal of marriage, but throughout it all, Abigail remains faithful. We can deduce one more thing about Abigail. Her son, Chiliab, or Daniel, God is my judge in First Chronicles chapter 3, is mentioned no more. Of all the grief later caused by David's other sons, Chiliab appears to be uninvolved. And this is a testimony to Abigail's wisdom as a wife and mother. She looked to God and taught her son to respect God's purpose and to refuse worldly ambition. Remember David's other sons? Ahinoam of Jezreel, Bear Amnon, who was killed by Absalom after he raped Tamar, Absalom's sister. The son of Abigail, Kiliab, Daniel, nothing further is known. The son of Maacah, the daughter of King Tamar of Geshur, called Absalom, was killed by Joab. The son of Haggith, Adonijah, attempted to usurp the kingdom and was executed by Solomon. There was Shephatiah, the son of Abital, Ithraim, the son of Eglah. There was the sons of Bathsheba, the infant who died, Shimea, Shobab, Nathan, and Solomon, who means peaceable or beloved of the Lord. The scripture records that David had 19 sons by various women and one daughter, Tamar. What a household for Abigail to wisely navigate through. What lessons are available to us then from the life of Abigail? We have a clear contrast between Nabal, a rich man of the world, living according to a foolish and darkened mind, residing in ignorance of God's plans, and David, who is prepared to humble himself and confess his wrongdoing. Which person are we? Our king is coming, and like Abigail, we must act with haste because time is running out. We must bring the best offering we can before our king with the purpose of saving others in the household. Can we, like Abigail, be seen by others as from God because of our humble actions and our attitude? Will others bless the Father because they see the character of our Father in us? Will we stick with Christ through thick and thin because there will be tough times ahead? when the war with sin will try to take us captive again? Can we keep our faith as we wait for Christ to become king? Can we keep that faith alive despite how the household of God behaves, even when it sows division or strife? Can we still teach our children to be faithful, to have hope, to manifest them a unifying spirit? Abigail is a wonderful role model for those who will work in a supporting role. We can't all be a king like David, but we can support the cause of our king in so many ways. Can we see ourselves in that supporting role, as part of this family ecclesia that needs everyone to do what they can, to lead and nurture, to uphold both the right way and those who need support? Abigail's actions saved many lives by her wise and humble appeal to the conscience of God's beloved. May we appreciate the role of godly sisters in our midst, and be thankful for everyone's contribution to godliness and love within the ecclesia. Mm -hmm.